Last week, if you were with us, this latter part of 1 John chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, John addressed the aspects of righteousness, of who we are in Christ, the way we live that out. He also talked about the eternal home, what we can look forward to with the return of Christ that's coming. And then it was all categorized in the way that he, God, is our father, our dad, and how we are his children, his kids, his sons and daughters, and how there's nothing that can disrupt that once we are found in Christ, once we surrender our lives to him, the truth of 2 Timothy 2.13. Even at times, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for God cannot not disown himself. So it brought us great encouragement. The tone of today's message actually shifts a bit for us. John addressing this idea of incompatibility in the lives of those who profess to have Christ as their Lord and Savior, living in sin, the incompatibility of that, along with how it's incompatible for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus uh, by our nature to not live in him, to continue to live in sin. So we're going to address both of those uh, things this morning. But before we read our passage for today, 1 John 3, 4 through 10, let's spend a moment in prayer together. So Father, we thank you for these moments you've given us to be able to worship you. We pray now as we Break open your word that you would speak to our lives, speak to our hearts, and God, that you would move us. Help us in these moments. We're trusting you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So in this opening verse, verse 4, we see this profession that many of us long ago, some in recent days, have made, surrendering our lives to Jesus, making him our Savior, and dealing with this area that we all deal with and wrestle with, sin. He begins verse 4 with the word everyone, talking about everyone who makes a practice of sinning and practices lawlessness. Uh, Sin is lawlessness, one of the best definitions in Scripture of what sin actually is. He said everyone wrestles and deals with that. All of us are born into sin with the exception of one, of course, he being Jesus through the virgin birth and being perfected throughout the entirety of his life, being both God and man, dying on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, the only one who never sinned. So we, by birth, nature of sin. And so when we make this profession to surrender our lives to Jesus, there's this disruption that takes place in our lives. No longer are we the the masters of our own 
lives, but our lives are then yielded, given to, rightfully so, who becomes the king of our lives. But the entirety of it, we still, however, because sin is rebellion, this direct action against God, struggle with this life. John didn't say in the verses that we read that we will never again sin. If he had said that, chapters 1 and 2, which we've studied in previous days, really would be useless. If you recall, as John walked through those challenges to the church, he begged them to stop sinning. And so there's this challenge to our hearts to not continually practice sin. So if it's not the fact that that he's challenging us not to sin, although that is the challenge. There's a difference between committing a sin and living in sin. Living in sin is this habitual pattern in our lives where we continue to walk through day in, day out, month after month, year after year, excusing before God and everyone The fact that we think what we're doing, who we are, and this area in our lives of sin is okay. And we justify it in spite of what God's word says. And over time, there's even a deafness that can develop in our our ears, our hearing, when the Holy Spirit directly speaks to us because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. So the longer we live in it, the longer we remain in it, the longer we continue to walk in it, bathe in it, as it were, sin the more deaf we become and the more we realize, or shall I say, less we realize the presence of God in our lives to the point where he challenges everyone with whom he's writing to, including us, to ask the question, how is it that these two incompatible, incompatible pieces can exist in your life? This profession you've made to love Jesus and surrendered, and yet to live in sin, which is, again, by definition, lawlessness. How can we continue? Now, in the church, of course, before this, Paul addressed in Romans chapter 6 the same thing that John is approaching and addressing here. There were some who said, and some who say in our day, it's all about the grace and mercy of God. There are aspects of that that are absolutely true. But to the point where this grace is an easy grace, where we don't have to go before the throne and even ask for forgiveness because we've been forgiven past, present, and future. And because we can live in the grace of God and in this relationship with him in that way, we don't don't even have a need to go before him and, and to deal with our sin. There's no necessity of it. But in Romans 6, 1 through 2, Paul challenging those with that mindset, what shall we say then? Or to continue to sin that grace may abound. Actually, that people may be able to see the grace of God more in our lives because we're more engaged in sin. By no means. How can we die? How can we who died to sin still live in it? There's a stark difference between stating that we know Jesus, that we're his. And this aspect of living with him and penetrating our lives and our hearts and our desire to be in him, allowing the righteousness of Christ to flow through us who he's called us to be. 
Alistair Begg said, in the area of habitual sin, for us then, speaking to followers of Jesus, a persistent practice of sinful patterns of behavior lies an incongruity. Congruity, of course, making sense of things, those fitting together. Incongruity being the opposite. These two things that cannot fit exists. And it is impossible to willingly, consistently, and persistently, persistently live in sinful activity. It's an impossibility. We then continue in verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So here's the first stated reason by John of why Jesus came. He came to die for us, for our sin. In our world, if we talk of Jesus, there are some who absolutely hate the name. Some. But for the most part, non-believers on the planet are okay to a degree with the name of Jesus, who he was. That Matthew 5 through 7, the Beatitudes about how were to be kind, how he was kind, and how he went and healed and he loved and embraced that type of Jesus, the person who he was. But the place where it gets sticky, really the place that individuals can't bear, is when it comes to the cross. The cross is where the power is. Christ going, dying, rising again. See, when we talk to people about Jesus, good Samaritan, good person, character in history. But when they're confronted personally with the cross, realizing that he came to die specifically for their sin, well, that's what people just can't stand. And so it's not that this testimony of Jesus, for most, is an abomination. It's that when we speak of the cross and the personal need of individuals to find him, that's, that's the offense. John stating in this, Christ's specific purpose was to take away your sin and mine. So we have to ask the question then, has he taken away your sin? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? That is the most base question this entire passage. If you have not surrendered your life, if there is no evidence of Christ in you, then the Bible says that you are lost. And today, directly, he is confronting you with the cross. Will you allow the Spirit to undeafen your ears and surrender your life to him? Continuing on in verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So here's this black and white statement again. John is very good at those. He is saying either you are a child of God or you are a child of the enemy, Satan. In fact... For those who would say that they are found in Christ, but their lives show and display radical difference to that, regardless of when that walking the aisle decision was made or whatever that looked like for those individuals, he is saying it is the same as for a person who does not have the presence and power of God flowing through them consistently 
to have been like the lost, who had never seen or heard of the name of Jesus. Pretty stark contrast. In fact, I would say one of the most chilling verses in the entire New Testament. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So the question comes to us then with that, what does that look like? That's the practical aspect of our living out our lives. Is there a fragrance or an aroma of Jesus? You personally having that relationship and then displaying that relationship to others. Do people see there's something different in you? Giving you the opportunity to share the testimony. Well, obviously, that is the person and power and presence of Christ in my life. Is it evidenced? Is this righteousness of Christ living in and through you? And in that, we see and we're reminded of the fact that when we surrender our lives, the Holy Spirit resides in us. The seed of God is planted in our lives. And so it's not our righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. Last week, we learned to practice righteousness is to live a habitual, Christ-honoring life. And today we see to practice lawlessness is to live a life that is characterized by habitual, willful rebellion against the authority of Christ in our lives. It is the divine work to define the moral character of the individual. We simply cannot live in sin and be okay with it if we claim to be followers of Jesus. And so we see how this sin is incompatible with the nature of Christ in our lives as we live it out. Moving on to verse 8. Whoever makes then a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we see this second stated reason then that John gives for Christ coming to destroy the work of the devil. I think in our culture, it's interesting to watch. It's been interesting to watch this progress throughout the years. We're on TV, many TV shows, in fact, show that the angel of God and Satan himself are people. and Actually, they can be friends, spend time together working towards the same goals. Now, you've seen commercials to these shows. You've seen these shows themselves where, where it seems like these two superpowers who are equal, are are put together. Well, make no bones about it. And what John is saying and what's consistent with Scripture is there are no two superpowers. We remember, right, that the devil was created. The angel was created. He is not creator. There are no equals to God. And so to allow him to have power in our lives, to have, in some respect, control or to change us in our lives, to make us really unlike the righteousness that Christ has in us, is is really, for us, the different position that we allow that foothold to have. In your life, what is more characteristic? 
the life of Jesus flowing through, having victory in him? Not always. We all struggle. We all have defeat. There are battles the enemy wins in our lives. Or a consistent thread of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God who continues to change us from the inside out, gaining victory, giving us victory. I mean, the devil already knows just through the cross, the defeat of trying to kill God, which was his very goal, Jesus raising from the dead, Satan being defeated in that moment, knows that his final defeat is coming. It is a matter of time. And so he is doing everything he can to war against us to where we live defeated lives, to live in sin, to cripple us from being able to share the gospel and the kingdom with those around us who are in desperate need of Jesus. And so many of us walk through life allowing that defeat to exist. Well, John tells us God has better for us than that. If that be the case, Satan knows his position He hates us, wants to kill us, wants to destroy our very lives. We must know and recognize who he is. So for us to play with him like we would a dog that's friendly, allowing sin to creep into our lives instead of seeing him as the roaring lion that he is looking to destroy us is a fatal error on our part. We must instead recognize who he is, utilize spiritual warfare as we find in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, the armor of God, utilizing prayer, focusing in to experience the victory that he's called us to. He really has no victory. So why, as followers of Jesus, are we allowing to do that in us? The very seed of God resides in our lives if we are his. Why would we continue to practice sin and allow him to have that place? Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. Remember, we talked about abiding a couple of weeks ago as well. If you were with us, how we're to abide in, rest in, live in Christ. God's seed abides in us if we are followers. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So once again, there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us when we do sin. And then verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so we see this reasoning that John comes up with. The evidence of who are the children of God, the righteousness of Christ coming in and through us the way we live our lives. People, once again, should see something different in us. And then the stickiness of that last part of verse 10 We are known by our love for our brothers and our sisters. Two years ago in January, I preached a message right here. I'm sure you remember every part of it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I remember very little. But I do remember we had just gone through a season of elections again. Ethan and I just laugh when we watch Ethan, my son, 14. We watch commercials. They come on, and sure enough, one candidate bashes another, and the other bashes the other, and they go back and forth, and... Both of them must be the the worst human beings that have ever walked the planet. I mean, every candidate to candidate. Nobody's good. And so we're watching it. We laugh about it. And in the midst of that, I got convicted. 
There are obvious candidates that you probably prefer over others, but for me, the question was posed. How consistently have you prayed for those who are going for candidacy? So specifically, I felt the Holy Spirit leading and saying, pray for the past president and the current every week. So for two years, for the most part, (laughs) I've done that. I found that as commercials come on with those two individuals, my animosity or hatred towards or frustration towards, and I'll just call it what it is, has lessened and lessened because this is how I've prayed for those two. God, I pray that you would help them so radically fall in love with you that they couldn't help but to proclaim the gospel and grow the kingdom. Now, are they doing that? I don't know. I've I've never spoken to either. There's not much evidence in the messages they deliver in commercials and on TV that necessarily they are so in love with Jesus that he's their paramount primary responsibility and that they're, they're just so engaged and in love with him that they can't help but speak but anything else. But is it my responsibility for the way they live it out? No. My responsibility is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and who he's called me. Okay, great, Darren. That's terrific. You're having victory there. That's awesome. What about the person that cut you off on I-35 last week? How are you doing with that guy? (laughs) Uh, Let's just not talk about that and let's set aside. No, we have to address it. This treatment of people. Who in your life holds that? Mm. Maybe even at church. You sit on this side, you sit on this side. No contact, avoidance. Man, I hope I don't run into a price chopper. We realize that that's living in sin, don't we? When we harbor bitterness, anger, hatred towards people, and we justify it because of how we've been injured. We find ourselves captivated, captured by this experience. Don't tell me you don't know what I'm talking about. We do heinous things to people, and people do heinous things to us. And if we do not put those under the banner of Christ and take him to the cross, we will consistently live in defeat which again is the enemy's hope. All right, let's wrap it up. So, are we pretending? Are our lives marked by the habitual pattern of righteousness and Christ forming and shaping us and us being yielded? or habitual, willful patterns of sin. If we claim to love Jesus and to know him, living in a way that is separated in rebellion and living in him are incompatible. So the call for your life today, if you find yourself there and the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning of that, is to take it to the throne. Repent, 
call it what it is, sin. Ask for forgiveness and allow 1 John 1, 9 to rule and reign in your life if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. He desires to cleanse you from all of that garbage today. Will you allow him to do the work? Next, do we remember what our true nature is, who our true nature is in? If we do, the devil can no longer have the holds he's had. And we can walk in freshness and newness in the life of Christ that he's called us to. Does he need to do that new work in your life? And then finally, in your life, the question we started with, the question we're ending with, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? If you were to be in front of God's throne today, the King of Kings, who reigns and rules would you be found in him? Not as a result of walking an aisle or being a good person or doing works, but that the blood of Jesus covers your sin because you've surrendered your life to him. If you have not done that, today is your day. Today's your day. Will you surrender to him? Oh, how he loves you. Let's pray.